0: Okay, so today's passage, um, we are going to 1 Kings 19, if you want to follow. It's 1 to 9. When When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid, and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, travelling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looks around, and there beside his head was some baked bread, baked on hot stones, and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank And the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night.
1: Thanks, Rosie. I remember the day well. It was May 1986, and I was an undergraduate studying mathematics and theoretical computation at university i just finished some exams, and I received a letter from the head of department, actually the founder of the university, Professor Christopher Zeman. I was to meet him the next day. When I arrived at his office the next day, his secretary stood up as I went in. Weird. Come in, dear boy, he said. I was given a glass of sherry in the comfy chair. Anyway, long story short, turned out, I'd got the top mark ever in one of my exams, subject called APL, which stood for, I think, A Programming Language. Not that exciting. But it was about multidimensional matrix manipulation and problem solving through an interactive programming language. Yep, that's what we did before Netflix existed. (laughs) Turned out, not only did I get the top mark, 98%, But I was the only student ever to have solved the five-dimensional problem in an exam. The exam was actually at a computer terminal, solving problems using the equations and the programming language. Now I can't remember what the five-dimensional problem is now, but it seemed very important at the time. For one brief moment, I was on the mountaintop a brilliant mark in an exam a pat on the back from a genius mathematician, and my two minutes of fame. But as the conversation in his study started to develop, the bubble began to burst. He said to me, perhaps I could help him with some of the research he was doing. The suborbital group theory research team were looking for an intern. Perhaps I might be interested. And the killer observation, I can't wait to see the rest of your exam results. By only the next day, I had crashed from my mountaintop to rock bottom. I couldn't possibly live up to my professor's expectations, and neither did I, actually. (laughs) Sure, I'd done well in an, an exam, but the honest assessment was it was a bit of talent and some exam luck. I was in a very talented year in the group I was studying with. I had four close friends with photographic memories. One of them learnt Latin in a weekend once, just for fun. (laughs) Another friend had got the top mark in four A-level subjects in his year for that exam board. No wonder I was thwarted by my professor's mistaken understanding of what one exam result said about me. And sitting on a bench on campus the next day, I was actually planning how I could quit university. Before I'd even had any other exam grades or spoken to my professor again, the pressure was overwhelming on me. Now, I did stay, but that day highlighted a a pressure point, a, a dark place in my soul. The feeling that summarizes that university story is fear. And here's the definition of fear. Fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the threat of danger, pain, or harm. Rick Warren says this, fear is a self-imposed prison that will keep you from becoming what God intends you to be. And here's what Ralph Waldo Emerson said. He said, fear looks forward. Fear is advanced purchase on problems not yet experienced. And just like me, you will have your own fear story. Perhaps you emotionally ran away from something or someone. Or you quit because of how you thought you might feel. Or you overreacted or wrongly assessed. You made a bad decision. You uh, gave in, gave up or checked out. And like me, you've known the mountaintop that so quickly leads to rock bottom. Now I know you all have at least one story, big or small, that fits that profile because like me, you are only human. J.B. Phillips, in the translation of Romans 3.23, puts it like this, everyone falls short of the beauty of God's plan. The brokenness and failure of each of our lives is the thing that opens the door to us feeling and experiencing fear. Now, the good news is, We are not the first people in history to have struggled with this. And this, of course, was a situation that Elijah was in, in the story that we've just heard. By the way, today's message is like the middle of a movie trilogy. So you had the blockbuster beginning last week with the prophets and the uh, altars and the fire and the killing. And next week, you'll get the resolution of the story And today you get the story in the middle all about fear. So last week we heard how Elijah overcame the prophets of Baal. He personally put himself on the line. He risked everything. It was literally a test by fire. He's vindicated by God. He kills the 450 false prophets. Bit violent. These days we'd probably just block them on Facebook or something kind of like that, but that's how they did it back in the day. And he turns the people of Israel back to God. That's his mountaintop experience. That's his victory. That's his moment of fame and success. And it's by the next day, only the next day, that we read in his story that he's at rock bottom. Ahab, who's the king of the Israelites of the day, tells Jezebel, who's his wife, everything that Elijah has done, how he killed the prophets, put them to the sword. And so Jezebel sends a message to Elijah that says this, may the gods deal with me be ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Now just pause for a moment and think what's happening in this story. Elijah has just won a moral, spiritual and military victory that is absolutely awesome. Nobody would have bet on him and yet he won. He came through. He was on his own. He literally says that I was the last of God's prophets. But he fights and defeats 450 bad guys, because he manages to turn the hearts of the, all the community of God's people so that they're on his side. So he now runs away because of a message. A message. That's it. Just words. Less than 30 words cause this man of God to fall into fear and panic A message so short it could have fitted in a tweet. He's risked his life. He's won the death duel with the bad guys. He's literally called down fire from heaven. He shed the blood of an army and yet by the next day a threat in words alone of a future that might not even happen breaks him and dumps him into fear. Fear, an unpleasant emotion caused by the threat of danger, pain, or harm. Fear, a self-imposed prison that keeps us from experiencing what God has intended for us. Fear, advanced purchase on problems not yet experienced. Fear looks forward and Elijah runs for his life. He gets as far as Judah, he sends his servant away, he heads off into the wilderness, he finds a bush, he sits down and he prays to God and says, I have had enough Lord, take my life, I am no better than my ancestors. Fear quits. Now it may even be that Elijah suffered from depression. The writers of the Old Testament would have never framed it or described it in that way. But of course, any of us can be pushed through circumstances into despair. We see that he needs rest, food. The angel gives him food and water. And he needs fresh purpose in his life. Verse 5, the angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was some baked bread, baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. This guy is broken like an injured athlete after winning the race. Now, as I said, you're going to need to wait till next week to hear the resolution of the story. What does God want to teach Elijah? But I want to focus today on the unfolding of this thing called fear in our lives. Years ago, a friend told me that we often give in to fear when we are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. He called it Halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And Elijah was experiencing all four of these. He was hungry the angel had to feed him. He needed food. He's definitely angry. Like he's just killed 450 people. He's lonely. Remember what he said last week in chapter 18? I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. You can almost hear the loneliness in the way he says it. And he's tired. He just wants to find a bush, close his eyes, go to sleep, and not wake up. Halt, H-A-L-T, is when we need to stop because we're in danger of giving in to the consequences of fear. H is for hunger, which can be physical needs. However, it, it can describe hunger for less tangible things like affection, accomplishment, understanding, emotional needs. That's why having a support system so important, there was no team Elijah, he was a loner. Those that care for you can give you food for your life to ease the emotional hunger that we all can easily feel. Hunger. Anger. Of course, anger can be righteous. Anger can be normal. It's not wrong to express anger in a a healthy way, but the important thing is to halt And to stop and to take time to understand it. What is causing your anger and how might you express it properly? Perhaps you're angry with a situation or a person or yourself or with God. And anger rarely makes good decisions. L, loneliness. Loneliness can occur when we're by ourselves or surrounded by many people. We can easily isolate ourselves when we don't feel others can understand us. Withdraw into ourselves because of fear. Ultimately, being lonely is a self imposed decision. If you're feeling lonely, halt. Ask yourself when have you last reached out to somebody for help? Your support system, your friends, your encouragers are probably there for you when you're feeling depressed or anxious or in need. And T, tiredness. Tiredness takes a toll on our bodies, on our minds, on our spirits, on our soul. When our days are busy, it's easy to ignore how tired we can become. Running low on energy makes for bad decisions And can open the door to fear. Now consider Elijah. He's a great servant of God. He's laid laid before us in this story as a hero. But can you see how full of fear his life is? Hunger, anger, loneliness, tiredness, coming together like a perfect storm. He is a leader at risk of burnout. I wonder which of those halts you identify with. By the way, do you get it? Halt, like stop, stop, pause, think. Which most affects you? Hunger, anger, loneliness, tiredness. I strongly identify with three of those, hunger, anger, and tiredness. Not being alone, because when you've got Jesus... No, because I'm such an introvert that that I am more than happy just to be alone with myself in my head. Content. In fact, I need to remind myself, wouldn't it be useful if I spent some time with other people? Even if I don't want to, it would just look better. (laughs) But I identify with the other three. Hunger, anger, and tiredness. I know that when I'm hungry or cross or tired... I move into the darker parts of my soul. And fear can start then to rule your life, even in little ways, which then can grow. Now, are there easy steps to get rid of fear? Three easy steps to no longer have fear? Well, I kind of think if there were three easy steps, we'd have all figured it out by now, and we'd all be free from fear. The reality is, we are all works in progress. The Bible speaks about fear a lot. So perhaps it's a significant part of the human problem. For example, whenever an angel appears to somebody, the angel usually will begin with, don't be afraid. That's usually the angelic opener. Remember Psalm 23, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. 1 John 4.18 says this, Perfect love casts out all fear. John Newton, the writer of the hymn, put it like this. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. What if we all grew in this area? What if we all got better at halt? stopping, pausing, and not letting fear drive our lives in negative ways. One observation is most of the negative examples that were highlighted are made better in community. What if Elijah had had a team with him, a, an apprentice prophet working alongside him, there to encourage him? What if he'd been in a supportive hub group learning how to be a better prophet what if someone had prayed with him for a few minutes before he went off to fight with Baal and sent him an encouraging card afterwards saying well done for killing all those people we knew you could do it by the way would you like to meet up for a coffee later in the week I'd love to unpack with you how it went and any ways in which it could have gone better and just to tell you how great you are Perhaps some of the Israelites went out afterwards to celebrate. They could have invited him along for a bit of damn time. He could have relaxed over a few carbohydrates and just recharged and sort of replenished the buckets. What if he'd had an early night and said his prayers and reminded himself, it's not all on me. God, it's your mission. You're doing, you're unfolding your kingdom. I'm just here to help And what if we as a church had less fear in our lives? What might that look like? Amen.